Hey guys, welcome to episode one of the Voice Over Roadmap podcast. This is our first official episode. In today's episode, we will be answering our three questions, one from each category, a performance question, an audio question, and a business question. For our performance question, we'll talk a bit about warm-up techniques. For our audio question, we'll talk a little bit about signal processing and a post-production chain. And for our business question, we'll talk a little bit about marketing. And if you'd like to submit a question for a future episode of the show, you can do that at voiceoverroadmap.com slash questions. So please feel free to head over there and submit as many as you'd like. And you can also check out the show notes for this episode on the site at voiceoverroadmap.com slash 001. Uh, you could also listen to the show on iTunes, on YouTube, on SoundCloud, and on the Voice Over Roadmap website. So let's get into episode one of the Voice Over Roadmap podcast. Today, we've got a couple of great questions in the categories of performance, audio, and business. And we are also going to be doing a home studio review of one of our listeners' audio. So let's jump right into our first question. This is in the performance category, and today's performance question comes from Kenny, who asks, what quick warm-up techniques are the most effective? This is a great question. Um, warming up is definitely a very important aspect of doing voiceover work. I think it's something that you should do every day. And uh, you could do sort of an extended warm-up routine in the morning when you wake up and get going. And then I think it's also helpful to do quick little warm-ups before you know a batch of auditions or before you're going to record a project or if you're going to head out and uh, go to a studio to record an in-person project, um, I think a nice little 10-minute warm-up routine or so is also a good idea in that situation as well. So Kenny asks, what quick warm-up techniques are the most effective? I think what's effective is warming up your range. So pitch-wise, you know, trying to just vocalize throughout your range. So from the lower pitches all the way to the high. And you could do this on different vowel sounds. You can do this on uh, different techniques. A very popular warm-up technique that a lot of singers use, but also applies very well to voiceover, is something called lip rolls. And uh, it's basically this sound. And some people might have a little bit of trouble doing it if you've never done that before. So if you're trying to make that sound and you're having trouble, what you can do is you can take your index fingers and just lightly push on your cheeks and then just try to blow air out while keeping your lips not pressed together tightly, but just closed. Um, so try pushing it on your cheeks just very slightly and then blowing air out while keeping your lips closed. And you should get this sound. So uh, a great warm-up technique or a great warm-up exercise that you can do is take that, take a lip roll and just move through your range pitch-wise with it. So go from low to high and then back down. And you can just go up, down, up, down, up, down. And just, you know, just kind of move it around. And uh, it would sound something like this. So you're just kind of moving it around, uh, you know, from the lower part of your range to the higher part of your range. And it's a great way to sort of wake up your range, so to speak. Uh, it's a good thing to do early in the morning. You don't have to do it very loud. You don't have to push really hard. Uh, it's just, you know, easy and it should feel really as natural as speaking. You know, it's not shouting. It's not anything like that. Um, so that's a great one. Lip rolls, I think, are a really helpful warm-up technique. They've been used for a really long time, they've been used by, you know, actors, stage performers, singers, musicians, um, and voiceover talent. Another thing that you can use is what's commonly called tongue trills. And it's similar to the lip roll, but instead you're going to either make a G or a D sound. And it's going to sound like this. Or with a D sound, it would sound like this. It's the same sound. It's just, you know, whatever consonant makes it easier for you. And, uh, same kind of thing. You can take that exercise and just move through your range with it. So, and just kind of go up, down, up, down, and just kind of 
move that around to, uh, you know, just help wake up your voice, help wake up your registers a little bit. And if you're having trouble doing that, um, not everyone can do it. So lip rolls might be an easier place to start. And then if you got that, then you can move on and try uh, to start doing tongue trills as well. And another uh, great exercise is just to take some actual consonant and vowel sounds and do the same thing. Just move up and down in pitch on them. So an M sound is a good one. Just mmm. And you can just do that on M sounds, on N sounds, on L sounds, uh, you know, trying to cover a good variety. And um, also with vowels, you can do O vowels, E vowels, U vowels, A vowels, just trying to cover a lot of ground and uh, move, like I said, up and down in pitch and try to, you know, wake up your range a lot. And then I'd say a good exercise routine that you can put together would be sort of a combination of lip rolls, tongue trills, some, you know, consonant vowel sounds moving around. And then to finish off, just actually read. Just, you know, pull up some scripts, pull up even if you're somebody who reads the news in the morning, uh, you like reading articles, just read them out loud, uh, you know, and just practice speaking out loud and getting into character even, and, uh, you know, just actually getting your voice going for the day. So, uh, yeah, try those out, Kenny. I think that uh, either one or a few of those or a combination of all of them can make a really effective warm-up routine for you. Moving on to our audio question. Uh, this week's audio question comes from Cynthia, and Cynthia asks, what are the effects that should be used in the post-production process of VO recording and editing, and what do each of them do? So, uh, yeah, this is a great question, and different people might have different answers to this in regards to what should be used. I don't think there's really a concrete answer to what should be used. Um, you know, it's going to depend on your voice. It's going to depend on your studio setup. It's going to depend on the space that you're recording in. All of those things affect your actual recorded audio. And based on how your raw audio sounds when you just record straight from your mic into your computer, that's what's going to determine what post-processing or, you know, extra steps you kind of need to take to take your audio to the next level. So in terms of the way you phrase the question, what should be used, there's really no answer to what should be used. It's just what's best for your voice, your microphone, your home studio setup, your recording space. All of those things are going to determine what would be best for your voice and, and your audio. So two of the common ones and the big ones are EQ and compression. And you've probably heard about those two a bit. And what EQ is doing is it's, it stands for equalization. So what it's doing is it's actually adjusting the frequencies in your recorded audio. So every piece of audio has audio information in uh, different areas of the frequency spectrum. So very low on the frequency spectrum is where you're gonna have very deep bassy sounds. And then higher up on the frequency spectrum is where you're going to have lighter, airier kind of sounds. Um, so something like a jet engine or something, if you recorded that, there'd be a lot of information in the lower end of the frequency spectrum. Whereas if you're recording like hi-hat cymbals on a drum kit, that would have a lot of information in the higher end of the frequency spectrum. The human voice, when you're recording it, is gonna have information throughout the frequency spectrum as well. So what you're doing with an EQ is you're actually adding information in some areas of the frequency spectrum or cutting it in some areas of the frequency spectrum. And like I mentioned before, there's no right or wrong way to do this. It's gonna depend on everything about your setup and your voice and your space. So a way that EQ is commonly used in voiceover post-production is to sort of remove any troublesome spots. So your room might have a buildup in a certain frequency range where when you record your audio in this space, there's gonna be a buildup on a certain frequency and that frequency might jump out a little bit more than you'd like it to. And it sort of results in just sort of a messier, maybe muddier kind of sound in the audio. So 
So EQ is used a lot of times to remove things like that. And that would be called uh, cutting. You know, that's when you cut certain frequencies out of your audio. Uh, the other way that you could use EQ is to boost. And basically, that's just the inverse. You're finding frequencies that you like and that have a pleasing sound, and you're just adding a little bit more of them to the audio. So you're boosting those. So um, it's not really something that if you have no experience with whatsoever, you should just jump into and start, you know, putting on all your audio. But um, it's definitely worthwhile to spend a little time learning about it, learning how an EQ plugin or an EQ processor works, and uh, experimenting with it and doing some trial and error. Um, there's tons of great resources online where you can learn about that kind of stuff. And I would recommend definitely checking it out. Uh, compression is another big one. And to, you know, put it succinctly, compression is basically going to level out your audio. So if I was recording a voiceover that had a lot of dynamic range, meaning there was a lot of quiet passages and uh, louder passages, volume-wise, uh, there could be a pretty big disparity, you know, between those two different sections of the voiceover. And what a compressor could help you do is sort of even it out. So you're still going to have a lighter area and a, and a more, you know, forceful, stronger area. But volume-wise, it's not going to be like, oh, let me turn up my volume on the quiet area and turn it down on the uh, loud area. Compression is going to help you sort of even that out. Um, it's a bit too complex to go into all the ins and outs of it in just a, you know, quick answer here. But um, yeah, again, just like EQ, there's tons of great resources online where you can learn about that stuff. And it's definitely worth, uh, you know, doing some trial and error and experimenting with it and uh, playing around with it. Because when you can sort of get a handle on it, uh, it can really, you know, do great things for your audio and take your audio quality to the next level. And uh, that is to say, though, all of this stuff, whether it's EQ or compression or any other sort of post-processing, it should really be used on an as-needed basis. Don't feel the need that, oh, you know, every voiceover that gets recorded, it needs, you know, needs EQ and it needs compression. So I recorded something, let me go to my EQ and my compressor. Maybe not, you know, maybe your audio is great and it doesn't really need EQ, or maybe it just doesn't need compression or it doesn't need any of the other 10 things you're trying to do to it. So um, always focus on getting your audio sounding as great as possible right at the source so that when you Stand in front of your microphone, you hit record, and it goes into the computer. So that right there sounds amazing. That's really should be your goal. Then, you know, EQ compression, all this other stuff is just to sort of, you know, smooth out any rough edges and maybe just, you know, put an extra coat of polish on it. Um, so yeah, EQ and compression are big ones. Uh, other things are noise gating, which is something that can help sort of remove some background noise in, uh, in empty spaces. Again, that's something that should be used, you know, very subtly, very lightly, and only if you really need it. Uh, a limiter or limiting is another one. That's basically the idea there is to take the overall signal that you've ended up with and just bring it up volume wise. So if say, you know, your gain isn't too high on your on your uh, actual audio interface because, you know, you don't want to pick up a lot of extra, you know, room noise or background sound along with your voiceover. What a limiter can help you do is, you know, after you've recorded at a comfortable gain level, bring up the overall final level of your audio to a more listenable or, you know, finalized sounding version. So uh, that is another effect that's also commonly used. And then there's some um, audio repair tools, which are, again, you know, just if necessary, but um, Isotope RX is a really, really incredible piece of software. That's uh, for audio repair in general, but there's a lot of great tools that can be used specifically for voiceover. And they have tools that can do things like remove mouth clicks. Um, they have a voice denoise module, which can help, you know, remove any sort of troublesome background sounds. Um, yeah. And, you know, just further enhance your audio if you need it, if it's something that, you know, you need to incorporate into your single chain. That's a uh, sort of quick rough overview of 
common post-production plugins and uh, processing that you might see um, in a signal chain for a voiceover. So it's definitely something that you can't really just jump right into and start throwing on your audio and hoping for the best. It, it does take a little bit of time, I think, to get comfortable with these tools and to learn how to use them properly because um, it's absolutely possible to make things worse as opposed to better if you aren't using these things the right way. So um, yeah, so I would recommend checking out some of those things, uh, you know, just doing a little Googling, a little research online and uh, finding out if any of this stuff is necessary for your audio in the first place. And if it is, you know, learning how to use it and learning how to incorporate it into your signal chain. And our final question for today is our business question, which comes from Peter. And Peter asks, where do most VO talent do their marketing? Online, LinkedIn, Facebook, et cetera. So yeah, uh, marketing is, you know, like a lot of things, something that I think is going to be unique to you and your situation. And I think some people will find marketing methods that work great for them. And those same methods might really not bring many results for other people. So, uh, you know, my approach to marketing is experimentation and trying as many different things as possible. And when you find something that works, you know, really putting a lot more into it, putting more effort into it and uh, devoting a little more time to it and uh, hoping to magnify those results that you're getting from it. So where do most VO talent do their marketing? Online, LinkedIn, Facebook. Well, online, I mean, that's obviously a huge one. Um, and if you want to talk about online marketing as it pertains to voiceover, there's, you know, that's in a whole umbrella of things in and of itself. There's online casting sites, there's, um, you know, directories of companies that you can reach out to, there's email marketing, there's social media, you know, all of that would, I guess, fall under the umbrella of online marketing. So um, I think a big one, when you say, where do most VO talent do their marketing? I think a big one is email. A lot of um, VO talent do email via marketing, um, just sending out cold emails to companies and to leads and prospects that they think a might be a good fit and uh, B might actually be looking for a voice like theirs and could use somebody like them in their project. Um, and a great way to do that is, you know, there's tons of directories out there. There's things like Mandy, which is a uh, big directory of production companies, uh, a simple Google search for video production company or commercial production company or uh, e-learning narration produce production, you know, and anything like that. Any of those kinds of search terms will definitely turn you up results. And it's just a matter of, you know, doing some research and seeing, does this company look like they are the kind of company who hires voiceover talent in the first place? I mean, that's the first question you should be asking yourself. And if so, um, you know, am I the kind of talent who, you know, they might be able to work with or they might be able to hire? You can look at some of their past work. You can check out their portfolio and see what kind of videos or what kind of projects they work on. And if it seems like, hey, yeah, you know, I could, I could do a project like that, then by all means, you know, go to their contact page, send them an email. Um, I always recommend and prefer to send an email to an actual person as opposed to a generic email address. A lot of times, if you're doing this kind of research, uh, you'll go online and you'll go to a website and it'll look great. It's a great company. They do great work and you want to get in touch. So you go to the contact page and what they have is either a form, like a contact form that you would fill out and send to them or just a generic address like hello at company.com or contact at company.com, whatever it is. Um, and if that's all you can find, you know, in your research, it doesn't hurt to still send an email or submit the form. I mean, I've gotten plenty of responses from companies when I've submitted, you know, through those methods. But if possible, spend, spend an extra couple minutes and, you know, maybe search on LinkedIn or just do a Google search um, and try to find an actual person there and their specific email address. And then write that person an email and don't just send them a generic email, address them by name, mention the company name, personalize it, because those are the kind of emails that are more likely to get a response 
And that's your goal. When you're sending out emails, you're trying to get a response. You're not really worried about getting a job or, you know, do it that obviously that's what you want as an end result, but that really shouldn't be your focus right up front. When you're sending marketing email, you want it to get opened. That's first of all. And if it does get opened, you want a response to it. So think about it in those terms. Think about if I was getting this email and I read this, am I hitting delete right away? Am I reading a little bit more? Am I going to the website? Am I responding? You know, just just put yourself in their position as somebody who would be receiving the email and uh, think about it in those terms. And I think you'll be more likely to send better emails and uh, get a better response rate. But uh, yeah, in, in regards to the other parts of your question, LinkedIn, Facebook. So yeah, social media, I think is also a good place to sort of connect with companies. Uh, LinkedIn, I think being the biggest one, just because it's a sort of professional social network. So uh, yeah, by all means, you know, you can join groups. There's a lot of uh, different production related groups on LinkedIn. Um, it's also a good search engine in and of itself to just sort of find people who might be in charge of casting and hiring voice talent, people like creative directors and executive producers and casting directors. And uh, just, you know, all people with those kind of job titles are good people to sort of look up and try to get in touch with. It can be a little strange to, I would say, you know, I, I think with marketing, like I said, in general, experiment and find what works best for you. Me personally, I've never been a person who's going to go on LinkedIn, find somebody who I've never met or never talked to and just send them like a LinkedIn, you know, connection request, uh, especially one without some sort of message attached to it or something. Because it's just, it's kind of random. It's, you know, they don't know who you are and sure they can maybe see that you're a voiceover talent or something, but I wouldn't really think that you would get a lot of good results doing that without first establishing some kind of connection, uh, you know, through a message or, or an email or something or a phone call or something like that. Um, and I know because, you know, as somebody who runs an audio post-production company, I'll get, I'll get those sometimes I'll get, you know, LinkedIn requests from people. And if, you know, their job title or something looks okay and looks like some, and they look like somebody, you know, who I might want to work with at some point in the future, I'll probably accept it. But if I just get a random LinkedIn connection request from somebody who I've never met, who I don't know, who I've never heard of, and I see that they work at some company that I've never heard of, and it doesn't sound like it's, you know, really in my industry or something like that, um, I, you know, I'm not going to accept it. So, and I think a lot of other people would probably have a similar idea. So, um, yeah, where do most VO talent do their marketing? Online, definitely. Uh, social media, I think, is a big one as well. And uh, cold calling. You know, a lot of people still do cold calling. It's definitely a uh, valid way to make a connection with somebody and to sort of get that one-on-one -on -one connection, like I was speaking about with sending an email to an actual person. Um, yeah, so you can also, so that's another thing you can try. And uh, again, just to reiterate, you know, it's it's all about trying different things and trial and error and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And when you do start to see that, starting to focus your efforts a little bit more. Another thing that a lot of voiceover talent do is uh, in-person networking. If there's any sort of meetups or uh, events or any sort of you know conferences where there might be a sort of meeting of production professionals, that could be a great place to go and uh, you know just start talking to people if you have business cards or you know just something with your website on it that you want to pass out. Um, it's really it's just about making connections with people and uh, you know, getting on their radar. And then once you are on their radar and you've established a nice connection, you know, staying on their radar. Um, so those are all different ideas and uh, see what works best for you and put your time and your effort into those methods. So now we're going to get into the uh, home studio review, the audio review portion of our show for today. So on today's episode, what we're going to do is a home studio review of the audio from one of our listeners. So we're going to listen to the raw audio and the processed audio. 
So today's audio submission comes from John Ciano. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at John's raw audio, which is just his voice into his microphone, into his computer. Then we're going to look at his processed audio, which is that same raw audio that he then runs through any of his processing, whatever he is doing on it. And uh, we'll take a listen and, uh, yeah, see what stands out, what sounds good about it, what could be improved, and, uh, yeah, give John some feedback. And hopefully you can listen to this and compare your own audio to it. That's sort of the idea is for you to listen to it and to, uh, you know, get some tips and techniques to improve your own home studio quality as well. So to start off, let's first take a listen to John's raw audio from his home studio. As a small business owner, you often have to wear many hats. CEO, manager bookkeeper, marketer, coffee maker. The list goes on and on. You need the tools and technology to help you run your business not only effectively, but efficiently. What if there was a way to manage your entire business from one simple, easy-to-use platform? Well, now there is. Cool. And now let's take a listen to John's processed audio. As a small business owner, you often have to wear many hats. CEO, manager, bookkeeper, marketer, coffee maker. The list goes on and on. You need the tools and technology to help you run your business not only effectively, but efficiently. What if there was a way to manage your entire business from one simple, easy-to-use platform? Well, now there is. Yeah, so overall, this sounds pretty good. Um, it's a nice balance, uh, you know, EQ-wise, frequency-wise. It's not too muddy or bassy or not too shrill and trebly. Um, I don't hear a lot of, you know, sibilance issues or anything like that. Uh, there were a couple little plosives that stood out to me a little bit, um, but definitely nothing major. I mean, I'm sure that John is using a pop filter of a sort, um, but sometimes even with a pop filter, you can still get a little bit of uh, a plosive on P and B sounds. Um, I heard it a little bit on bookkeeper. It sort of popped out on that word. But um, again, I mean, that's a really nitpicky thing. I mean, it wasn't a very loud one or a distracting one. Um, and on the raw audio, there was a bit of like mouth noise, um, you know, just a little bit of clicking and stuff like that that I was hearing. But um, I really didn't hear a lot of it on the processed version. So it sounds like he cleaned that up either manually or uh, through some sort of processing. But uh, yeah, if you listen back to his processed audio, um, he's got a nice sound uh, tonally and it's not an echoey or a very hollow room sound. He's got a nice, uh, you know, close up front kind of sound. Uh, he's got a good noise floor. I'm not hearing gating really going on. You know, it's, it's quiet. It sounds like he's set up his space pretty well in terms of acoustic absorption. And, uh, you know, he's also recording in a quieter room or a quieter space because uh, there's not, you know, a lot of background hum or noise or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, no, overall, this, this sounds pretty good to me. One other sort of small kind of nitpicky thing is maybe the level of the processed audio could be just a little bit louder. Um, you know, so if you're using a limiter or something like that, John, maybe you can just nudge it up just a little bit. Um, I definitely noticed that the processed audio was louder than the raw audio. So there's definitely something going on there that's uh, lifting up the sound. So I would assume you're using some sort of limiter or something like that. Um, that's just because, you know, when you're listening to 20, 30 auditions in a row and you're just few seconds of this audition, then a few seconds of the next one, and you just kind of are going through. Um, if your audition is quieter than the last, you know, four or five, even if it's great, and even if the audio, you know, is great, um, it just still might, I don't know, it almost makes you like itch to, you know, keep going to the next one or something. So, um, you know, level-wise, you definitely don't want to be significantly quieter than a typical audition. And I don't think this is, I don't think John's audio is, but um, 
like I said, it's a nitpicky kind of thing. I think, you know, if you want to add just a little nudge more of uh, volume, I think that wouldn't hurt as well. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, again, if you'd like to check out the show notes for this episode, you can do that at voiceoverroadmap.com slash 001. If you'd like to submit a question to possibly be answered on a future episode, you can do that at voiceoverroadmap.com slash questions. And feel free to subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, or if you prefer to just listen to the show on the website, you can do that at voiceoverroadmap.com slash podcast. Thank you guys again so much for listening, and uh, make sure you tune in for the next episode, episode two, where we will have a very special guest co-host. So I'll see you guys in the next episode. 